grad school with Kate and Dustin. I'm Kate, obviously. And I, that makes me Dustin. Yeah, uh, we checked beforehand, so we were sure. Um, and we're happy to have you with us today. Um, if you didn't catch it, you can check out our last episode. Blah, blah, blah. You can check out our last episode. <laughs> Um, where we had Liz Wyman on to talk a little bit about reading scientific articles and the two episodes ago, right? Damn it. You can check out some of our previous episodes where we talk to other people or talk to ourselves. Yeah. Uh, we don't talk to each other. We just talk to ourselves under the same recording. Um, yeah. it's delightful, a little incoherent, but, uh, would highly recommend. And this week I have my, uh, inaugural microphone recording. And so hopefully it sounds a lot better. Um, one of my like internal gripes has been, I, my audio is terrible and Dustin's is great. So, uh, I hope this will great, you know, lend some greater legitimacy to our podcast and will increase our, uh, follower count exponentially. And now I've got my full NPR voice, so I think this will be good. And this It'll bring in that NPR crowd. NPR. Is that what they say? In the, I don't know. Uh, it's been a while. I mostly just listen to 538 <laughs> these days. Oh, you can catch, out, catch some really good – this is a 538 appreciation podcast. Um, you can mm -hmm. catch some good uh, episodes on theirs. Um I like to think it's helping me with thinking about statistical modeling. It's probably not. It just makes me think about the election in a more data-driven way. Um, but they just have uh, they have a Friday uh, podcast called Model Talk, and hmm. they do a delightful thing in the beginning. Maybe this is what we could do for our intro to the in grad school. They go, "This is," and they both say, "Model Talk." <laughs> really dorky, but I kind of love it. Um, do, do they alternate saying this is? Like uh, one no, I think this? just Galen Drew goes, this is, and then uh, Nate Silver and he both go, model talk. It's just delightful. If you're Nate Silver and you're listening to our podcast, big fan, big fan, give Claire Malone yep. a raise. She's the only reason I listen. I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, uh, so today we're going to talk a little bit about, you know, general life updates, what we're going through, and still in the early phases of the semester, but with things kind of picking up, what that looks like for a first-year student, and what that looks like for someone in his sixth year and final year, um, and sounds terrifying. It, you know, it is very terrifying. One of my favorite words is penultimate, because it makes, like, mm your second to last of anything sound like way more official and serious than it actually is. Um, so I like to make a big deal like in running whenever I'm on my last like re or second to last repeat. So I don't like just kind of crap out. I like say to myself, this is based off of my like, or college cross country coach. Uh, Cause he used to be like the penultimate, like 600. <laughs> and so I like took that. And so whenever I'm doing like a repeat, I'm like, the penultimate mile just to myself, which is, <laughs> I'm a huge loser. Um, but anyway, so we'll talk updates and then we'll uh, talk a little bit about your uh, recent experience being a uh, father and your recent experience, your experience being a father and an academic, um, but having, a, having increasing salience with uh, working from home life, but also, um, you know, you've talked a little bit more about it on Twitter or like had some more stuff on Twitter about being a father and everyone finds it delightful, including myself. So just to ask you about 
you know, um, how you recently started being a father to your child. Uh, <laughs> it was just, it was just a thing. I finally found some time in my schedule and I, you know, I blocked it off on my Google calendar and I was like, you know what, this is dad time. <laughs> add, <laughs> add your child as a guest. Um, no, I thought it was because you saw it like drove likes. And so then you're like, hmm, this seems like it's helpful. It could be that too. But it's also like, this is funny to me. So other people might find it enjoyable. Yeah, no, it's been really fun. Um, I like it a lot. Uh, and then we're going to talk a little bit about non-academic jobs or about utilizing the skill set that you get during grad school that you may not think is something that you could monetize, um, but like ways that you can either like supplement your income or just like ways you can think about using the skills that you gain in your five years. Um, I think sometimes I'm guilty of thinking of it as like all or nothing, um, PhD or bust, but uh, the things you mm -hmm. gain along the way and um, Dustin, how you're planning on, you know, using them and thinking about them and trying to use it to help others. So uh, let's start with updates. So what's new with you, Dustin, since last week? Um, this was something that it's just like been been going on for a while that finally at the kind of finish line with my, well, not finish line. It's like the start of the finish line. <laughs> the penultimate the, lap. There you go. I was trying to weave it in there, but I couldn't. I got um, you. The Thank you. penultimate lap of a five lap race. If you're a track runner, then you know, you get me. But I'm in, I'm going on my sixth lap. Yeah, but like, oh, uh, <laughs> my race is long, it's gonna take a long time. Point and is, you're not done yet. <laughs> yeah, not done yet, but getting closer. Like, it is, it is right on the horizon. Okay, wait, um, though, is this the penultimate? This is the penultimate step towards getting your PhD. This upcoming one. Sure. Yeah. yeah. I think so. Yeah. It's prelim and defense. And then like collecting the data steps and writing in all yeah, But don't care about those because it needs to fit this joke. It's not a joke. This is the penultimate step. It's it's my life. Uh I have this upcoming week which as you're when you're listening to this will already have happened so please congratulate me on all of things oh my god i i heard you did great <laughs> sorry <laughs> like the only person that finds myself funny <laughs> no it was <laughs> god. and so i'll have this week have my prelim proposal my dissertation proposal where i get to kind of listen to a lot of really smart people talk about the work that I'm hoping to do and seeing what kind of feedback or insight they have. Um, it's my understanding that this will be more of a, like a discussion type thing. And it's not something to be afraid of. And that's what I keep telling myself. Um, so I'm really looking forward to it. We'll see how it goes. I've sent the document out to everybody and they are reading it, I hope, or not. That's okay. You can just like come and show up and be like a smart person. And I appreciate that. Uh, but I'm looking forward to then seeing like what the next steps are and collecting this new data and what I can do thinking more in terms of open science. This will be the first data collection process that I get to do like on my own 
thinking about how I can make this data more open and accessible to others and have that at the forefront. I think that'll be that's something I'm really excited about being able to do. You know, I haven't thought about this like uh, so like there are a lot of open science ways to, you know, set up your study and like prepare for your uh, analyses. But like as far as like open science and data collection, is there anything like specifically in that step? Because I don't think of that step as being like a particularly like other than like not, you know, priming people to say one thing or other, like the normal ethical boundaries we have for like data collection. But like. Are the, is there anything specific that you're thinking of in that way? It's more in terms of how I want to structure the data and make it so it is more accessible to people on a on a quicker basis where uh, I can structure things and, and collect the data and organize it on the front end. And then that way I can post it somewhere so that other people can have access to it more easily, have code books and writing scripts to to summarize things and and score different items and then also like on the participant side just making sure that they're aware of their rights to to privacy and things like that so that's really like a small piece of it but it is very important because i'm not unethical in data collection i don't think i don't know i haven't done it we'll see maybe it'll go off the rails and then uh then this podcast will be used as evidence later on. Guilty. Um, yeah, no, I think that I, I mentioned this last week, if my memory serves me correctly. But yeah, no, I think um, my mental goal is like, I feel like a lot of data collection and things through the IRB, though not a perfect system. And like, I've been thinking a lot about like the coercive nature of like, um, collecting data for people from like, poorer backgrounds, or um mm-hmm. Yeah, like I know like certain IRBs kind of think a lot about this, but as like a larger systemic thing, you know, like, you know, setting that aside, which is obviously a concern, but, uh, you know, we have these tightly regulated things for uh, data collection, but if only we could have a similar sort of uh, system for data analysis, that would be great. So fingers crossed for the future. Yeah, that'd be really nice. And then moving that, pushing that forward into papers and having like all things tied together where you have a single like we give papers dois and it's a way to identify the paper itself but then why not keep that track it through the data analysis have the script there have it tied to the data and have all those pieces together so that then when someone submits it for review in a paper that all of that's there and then all of the reviews get tied to that so then if they have to submit it again, then all of that information is there. I think it, it that can be, that's like a pipe dream. It takes a lot of infrastructure and system to do that. And I don't think right now journals in particular want to do that or like we're not incentivized as researchers to do that. So I'm trying to be more thoughtful on the front end of things that I can do to make this process more streamlined for me in the future, but then also for anybody else who wants to use this this data. IRB by GitHub, maybe. <laughs> that was something that I, I'll probably have to dig up this tweet, but someone was saying like, use GitHub for version control on like legal documents. No. And then you can see like, yeah, that, that would be really so cool. Sad. And you could see 
Truly. And you can see why why changes are being made, where they're being made, when they're being made, by who. But doing the same thing for our documents, for our data analysis. And I think that was something that people started doing when like blockchain started being like a, a thing. You're looking at me like I don't know what blockchain is. I'm crazy. I used to. I don't know. <laughs> okay. No, I'm just a big nerd. That's what it is. It's like every step is tied to the previous step. So it's like you can follow things back all the way. And people were starting to try to do that with data collection. I don't know where it kind of ended up, but this is like way far off from me submitting my prelim, which is totally cool. What's going on behind you there, Kate? I was like, I caught it in the reflection. I was like, oh, wow. My cat's like losing his mind on his cat tree. Um, that's really exciting. I keep thinking about things I plan to do once I'm competent in R and integrating that with GitHub. But uh, this week reminded me I have a very long way to go until that day. So <laughs> we'll get to that though, right? Yeah. We'll figure out. We'll explore your whatever the process was. Any other updates that you wanted to share? Uh. Internship is a thing that I have to do and apply to that. And uh, I have not been doing a whole lot with it. And so it's one of those things that you're like going to sleep or you're like in the shower and you're like, huh, I think I have something to do. And it's like, oh, yeah, apply for the next step in your academic career to get your PhD. Uh, so I, I need to do that. I need to look at sites. And that whole process is um, backwards. I think I don't like it. <laughs> uh, the cause of sleep latency. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it, yeah. is, it is just uh, not a, a fun thing to think about. It's going to be a little bit easier now in COVID times, which I never thought I would have that sentence said. Um, but the interviews, much like I think a lot of grad programs are going to, interviews will all be done by zoom or some video and that uh, programs can't require you to come and see the place which it has like ups and downs but it's going to save a ton of money for people who are applying across the country yeah i think that's great my one concern is like when if uh covid times end like if there will be some sort of my imagine my like i imagine it would work for one year where like people would have the power to either if they got interviews at programs they were less certain about or less like interested in, they might decide to do a video interview for them Mm -hmm. or it might turn into a, um, before it was more or less required, right? Like there was no way you could not come to the interview in person without looking like you didn't care. Now I wonder if it's going to be a tool to measure your seriousness about the program. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's kind of, that's kind of my concern. And so I feel like, you know, like the hesitancy I have, which being like, this is going to work is and how many ways are we going to reinvent our old problems um, where there's this like pay to play kind of environment. Because um, I think about myself like strategically, had I like had this as an option for a few places, it would depend when the offers for or invitations to interview came in. But there are probably like two places where I wouldn't have gone to the in-person interview uh, because it was like very expensive for what was essentially kind of a backup option feels strong. But like 
not my like dream program. Yeah. Not in potential line. I think that's going to be one of the things that I hope we reevaluate just as academics um, broadly, like a lot of things that we're doing can be done via video or we can be more accommodating for people. But then what is the implication for that? And yeah, I think it it could just reify some of the the ideals that are already set that programs say they they don't have, but they're they're definitely there. Yeah, like in an ideal world, what would be great is like having online interviews, uh, Zoom interviews, and then like have people, if it must happen on like a two day window because no one has jobs or anything to pay for their grad school apps. No. You can almost almost work it in a really scheduled environment in order to best serve everyone involved. This is a lot for faculty too to like dedicate two whole days and miss out on other things they could be doing. Um, but it would be like that kind of environment. And then, you know, with the money that you are saving, not that there's that much money, but you could, uh, pay for flights for accepted students. And that's where the, like, you know, do one great thing where it would give power back to graduate applicants. And then the other thing it would do is like, you get that opportunity to see if campus would be a good fit. If you could live there, if the faculty in person were as good of a fit as they seemed via zoom. I do do think like I previously was skeptical of how nice, how like an impression could be made and also how you could get the proper impression via zoom. Mm -hmm. I think the more and more we've come like having taken classes you know, you still get the annoying kids in class. They're just annoying in a Zoom way. Um, you still get insightful commentary in a sense of like, you know, I, I've been really impressed with my instructors and, um, you know, it could be great. And yeah. also an increase in accessibility for people who might be harder for them to travel because of their family or like disabilities or things like, or financially, like just the whole host yep. of reasons. So I think it's like wants to walk the walk. Uh, instead of being like, we want to be more diverse. It's just yeah. really hard. No, it's not. You not just have to take a pro- you just have to take action and like actually do something. Yeah, no, I think like, there's this learned helplessness too. By the time you're a tenured professor, like, yeah, and I'm not speaking for everyone. I'm not speaking for anyone I know. Um, is that like a lot of people have been keeping quiet for so long because they're told it'll hurt their careers and that's not on them that's like a continued problem that Mm -hmm. just kind of gets passed down um that by the time they get it they're so used to kind of playing it safe and there's always another rung to climb up to i think we forget about that too right like i i think i kind of think of tenure like home base like a home run is getting a tenure track position which also looks this is like overly simplifying what the academic job market looks like to you and whether that's what you want to do, which we'll get into later. But, you know, it, if an academic career is what you want, tenure track feels like the end goal. And there's so much beyond there. There's like a endowed chair, there's more money, there's awards and things like that. So it never really ends. And there's always a good reason to bite your tongue, but there are better reasons for speaking up. So, yeah. I don't have anything to add that. Yes. So I'm kissing my academic career goodbye. <laughs> that's why, that's why I'm willing to speak up about Philip Zimbardo. Yeah. Take that. 
Philip Zimbardo, I don't care if you blacklist me. <laughs> Same goes for you, Sigmund Freud. <laughs> ho, ho, ho. This episode is brought to you by You Can Grad School. Whether you think you can or think you can't, <laughs> we know you can. <laughs> Join us Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, Fridays if you listen to the episodes again and again on a loop, really anytime, for You Can Grad School with Kate and Dustin. Even Saturday and Sunday. Okay, let's not get crazy. Sorry. Ho, ho, ho. So, Kate, we've talked about all of your enemies. Now, what have you done? What have you been up to this week? What's been on your mind? Or, Well, my enemies shouldn't be too intimidated because I'm still working my way through first year sets. Um, yeah, so, like, I had this, um, I had my first, like, I feel like very uh, grad school moment last week where... I had to make like choices on what needed to get done with like a limited amount of time yeah. and something that, you know, I, I think wasn't a result of like bad planning, but like was a result of not like, of like early uh, semester kind of things where your time estimations are a little off. So I, um, in order to get something out of the way, so I didn't have to deal with it later in the summer or semester, I um, had to lead like a three-hour discussion for one of my classes, um, oh, which boy. was yeah, like really intimidating. It ended up being like less work. It was one of those things where like you know the discussion usually kind of goes off on its own, but I felt the pressure of like making sure it went smoothly. Um, kind of like one of my first meetings as lab manager where I was like, have to manage every portion of this in case something goes wrong. Um, I had to come up with like, done. yeah. And I just like, I had to know the articles that I was presenting on like really well to make sure that I wasn't yeah. like stepping in it. Um, had to like come up with these discussion questions like early in the week and probably a result of me like worrying too much about this. I spent a lot of time on it. And then um, I had like, uh, work for my like quantitative methods homework which was like primarily coding actually sent you the assignment yeah um, awesome. yeah some stats stuff it, it, in theory awesome uh stuff i need I to like know <laughs> yeah no like stuff i need to know and so it was something i was like excited to kind of dive into but i bumped up against like not having enough time to like get it done in like i think a good manner and so um the time for the assignment was like came and bumped up against my class time so like halfway through the class was when the assignment was due and so I had set aside like eight hours to do this homework and I was like how much longer can a homework take (laughs) (laughs) to complete it technically eight hours is sufficient to complete it to get a good grade more time is required um and so it was like a small thing where I like was like oh okay like there's one question I know I didn't know the answer to. So like no big deal. And then I got my like test score back or like my, or my quiz score back, assignment score back. And it was like lower than I had like thought it would be. And so like the hour that it happened, I was like, ha, shit, like I'm so stupid. Like, oh man, the semester's gonna be terrible. I spent an hour like being like, okay, if I get a hundred on everything else, like what's the highest I can get and all this other kind of stuff. But what really I just kind of needed to like, like a day later when I had, to, you know, this morning, um, after I had some time to think about it, I was like, okay, like, this is a reminder that like, you need to plan to like get this stuff done like earlier in your week, first of all. 
it's a reminder that you need to check in with others and ask for help because like this is an assignment that was doable and you just needed some like structural help with like figuring how to make this look like nice um I also like it just like looked really messy and so I was a little embarrassed so uh a future thing I'll probably ask you is how to make the R markdown documents like the output and the pdf mm -hmm. look nice when you knit it because it looked horrible uh just like big blocks of text and everything big blocks of text yeah when it was downloading things I thought I had prevented it I thought I had written code to prevent that but you know again it as didn't. with R it <laughs> didn't work uh <laughs> So it was just like a bunch of little stuff where it um, it unfortunately like feeds into sort of my like stats and coding that comes from nowhere because I never did really badly um, at math until college. But uh, I talked about this in a previous podcast, but it was like really activating my, oh my gosh, like no matter how hard you work, you're going to fail. And then my, oh, I try because then if you like don't try, then you could just know. Um, or what if everything goes wrong this semester and I have to drop this class or something else? And so that was like confronting those and being now I'm like anxious talking about it again. <laughs> uh, it just like reminded me that, you know, like it takes longer for me to learn some things than other people who are this like I'd like to I said earlier, like, oh, it takes me longer than other people on average. Um, but like also reminded me like it's not other people it's like people here people are already working at a higher level it takes me slightly longer to do this other thing on the other hand I'm a strong writer and so it takes me fewer drafts to get to a strong draft for like my personal statement for my NSF draft so you know like there are upsides and downsides and I have strengths that other people have and I'm just gonna have to like everyone has to deal with in their entire lives you can't just ignore your weaknesses you have to work on them and so uh I'm kind of excited afterwards I like rehyped myself uh up to be like no you're gonna like do a really good job on this next homework and uh you're gonna start it and work on it throughout the week and um, we also changed our like deadline. So it's now Saturdays at 5 p.m. So that was a huge relief because it just gives me a lot more time to work on things. So um, I feel like overall all of those changes is going to be good for me. So that was my main like thing this week. And also just like a reminder, I think I the first couple weeks of grad school have been like not easy, but like relatively easy for me. And so this is like this typical thing that like everyone has in their first semester, which is not everything goes like you want it to and you're gonna like this is and, like not fail but like you're gonna like fail like have little failures along the way where you don't do the like do something to the quality that you'd like to i think you you talked about the experience like really well and it's a thing that i think every grad student and every person encounters when they care about something that they're doing and it's these it's then what you do with that and it sounds like yes it is very overwhelming when it happens and you're like i i want to do really well with this it's something that you want to start building on and then you get the feedback and it's like mm, maybe not so much and but you're gonna like keep thinking about it and keep moving with it and especially with stats like again to get back at kind of what we talked about i don't know 
few pod few episodes ago with all of the episodes that we have so far uh that you're you're in training we're all in training we're trying to figure out what it is that we can improve what we know we do well in we can excel there and it's this balancing act of trying to figure out where do you want to dedicate your time and what do you want to be kind of doing and see yourself doing and there are some components like stats or coding that can be it's a different different mindset and a different way to approach problems that maybe some people have a a different view on it and that is totally okay that just understanding and i think being forgiving for yourself and for all of our listeners to really just forgive when you do make mistakes and then think about okay what can i do next uh and realize that it is not not a complete reflection on yourself of who you are and thinking about stats that i try to like that feels a little bit more close to who i am as a student and so i I could see if i get feedback on like a stats thing that it would be it it would feel differently than if someone criticized my writing um but then recognizing like yes this is something that these are skills that other people have and i can go to them and like we talked about in a another episode i think with liz where it's like you you can go get help and asking that first question is huge and it can feel really overwhelming but once you do that then you have that relationship with somebody else who they might be better at one thing and like you said kate you're you're confident in your writing and you're able to put those drafts together a lot easier so someone like me would go to someone like you uh, to talk about writing and get that together and then it builds these collaborations which is really exciting as well that's a good point to think about i was actually thinking about the point that liz made last uh two weeks ago uh or last week whatever it was uh which was helpful being like, oh, like a big part of grad school is saying, I don't know, and I need help. Um, and again, for me, I, I, for a big problem I have is like, a, I feel like I'm always like in too deep when I have to ask for mm-hmm. help. And so um, this like very small thing that like set me off in a lot of ways is going to be great because it's kind of leading me to like restructure my semester in a helpful way. And like, I'm forcing myself to go to office hours every week. And in order to do that, I like have to be prepared. I have to have questions. It'll also yep. like give me time with this professor. Um, and will make me a better student. Um, so even if it's serving the like short-term goal of like just making sure I get everything right on my homework. So it's helping like long-term with my understanding. Um, so that's, that's something that's good. And then like this other thing that I, I still have like a fair amount of time in grad school. So I don't want to say I don't, I'm not stuck like a lot of other people with like a million different things that they have to juggle. Like my plate is full, but it's not overflowing. Um, but is the thing like, there are these two classes that I have a medium amount of work for, but I was over investing in or like, wasn't um, that one of the things or choices you have to make in grad school is to do good enough. And I can get a good grade in these two classes while doing like less mental and uh, time spent on this work. And so I probably should do that because we live in an imperfect world where you don't, where you have to make choices like this. So yeah, doing doing good enough is like the tagline to grad school. It should be. 
Right. And these aren't like core classes to like my, like that are like part of my like main curriculum. They're classes that are going to help me. And so like what I really need to do and the way I need to treat them is as tools for helping me like work on papers and things like that. So, um, and they're like, I think it's easy to get sucked into because they're really fascinating yeah. topics. It's gender and media and children, poverty and the environment. And so they like also make me tend towards over investing because they're areas mm-hmm. I want to learn about, but um, have to kind of balance and great professors. So shout out to shout out to my two awesome professors. Thanks for making class so interesting. I spent too little time on my quantitative methods homework. I blame you. <laughs> you heard it here first. Yeah. So yeah, that's like my main update. Um, and then I'm still kind of working with my NSF um, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm working on my research statement portion now, which is again, like a slightly more intimidating kind of writing than my uh, personal statement was. Um, I think my personal statement ended up being kind of fun to write. I finally found a way in. I was really like struggling with my intro paragraph and then it just kind of clicked. And nice. I'm really proud of like, where it is and where it's at right now. Um, so that's pretty great. But then it it's like, I have to leave, like with my classwork, I have to leave the thing that's in good shape and work on the thing that's not existent or needs work. And so um, now I'm putting this together and it's leading to interesting methods, questions. And next week I'm probably gonna meet with someone in the field um, who's in this area of interest with me that I really respect and like, just like, have like I'm a huge fan of um and so I'm trying to think of not being a nerd and like a huge loser and being like I love your work uh why not that sounds awesome why not but like in a cool like uh, in a cool way wow your work has been really well it's not cool this way but it's more like professional so I'll be like very professional be like no like I, I um I started reading your work when I was in college and it's been very formative for my research interests. Thank you. And you're wearing sunglasses while you do this. So you look cooler. Kate is putting on glasses, yeah. just regular glasses, like a nerd. Uh, yeah. My, my boyfriend was trying to do the thing where you like make the glasses go up oh, and down. Yeah. yeah but not that I would never do that in front of another human. Um, yeah. So that's like very exciting, but other than that, just kind of roll with the punches and uh, try and be my best self. So uh, now to our next topic. Uh, so I want to talk a little bit about your um, recent Twitter page, uh, which has kind of talked a lot about your daughter, her, what she's learning in school and um occasionally slash like i would say half the time to three quarters of the time it kind of intersects in a funny way to your research or um to your lens as like a researcher even if it's not related to your like actual research um and i don't know i want to hear a little bit about like why like i don't know what to say why because it's a reflection but like what are some things you've been thinking about recently and um balancing being like a researcher and a father the last six years (laughs) now that you have a five-year-old and I figured out the math on this so there you go start by explaining how you can have a five-year-old and yet you're in year six of your PhD and you had her the year you started yes it's because this took a while for me to to figure out too that we 
I have the excuse of not being strong mathematically, though not technically true. We don't say like infants are in their first, they're not first years. They're like, but here's they're, the thing. They're zeros. <laughs> so the way you count time, because when you're, it gets confusing, but I always thought like you should count from when I was little, not now, obviously, but you should count like when you are born, you're nine months or like whatever oh, the okay. estimated date of consumption was. That's like, that's when you begin. That's your birthday. Um, I am will- someone who believes like, like life technically begins at conception. This like leaves, I'm not a pro-lifer. Um, it's a complicated issue. Um, but in terms of counting how old you are. Exactly. Uh, as a child, I could not. I remember actively just like getting so frustrated thinking about why you were born at zero and how that could be possible that I thought it made a lot more sense that your first birthday would be like three months after you were born or if you're a preemie, like four months after you were born. Um, that is when you were one. And that's the birthday you should celebrate from there on out. <laughs> I see. So the the like term birthday meant nothing to you. No, and, <laughs> and now reflecting on it, it makes so much more sense because like I was just like really focused on the life day. Yeah, yeah. It was like you were you were here. You were doing things. I don't know. Yeah. Now that you bring up the word birthday, I'm beginning to realize why I was so stupid as a child. <laughs> um. But it was a complicated concept for me to grasp. Uh, and just like the concept of zero. I was like really advanced. And so I was struggling with the concept of zero from young yeah. age. And yet surprisingly and stupid. Uh, it's like it's numbers and, and then linguist, linguistics. Yes. Even though you said that you're a good writer, we're going to avoid all of that. Struggled with that. Mm-hmm. Although to be fair, I was a really bad writer and reader until I was... Uh, in first grade. Um, oh, how old would you have been then? Six. Six or or no, I was six. Seven. And I was six nine and months. nine months. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so confusing. Uh, no, yeah, but uh, so anyway. she she is in her sixth year of life, and I am in my sixth year of knowledge PhD land. A PhD life. Yeah. You're both six-year-olds. Uh, mm-hmm. Has it been interesting? Like, I mean, in some ways you're a developmentalist. Um, you yeah. don't really study early childhood, but like, you know, the nature of your work is studying change and development. Um, how has it been watching an actual human develop like day-to-day, the original ESM study? It is bonkers. And like, I tend to joke about this, that like all the things that I have learned in like my six year span pales in comparison to everything that she has done. And it's just like language acquisition by itself is amazing to see. And then from day to day, just the the imagination that comes out and the different things that she wants to do and is able to do and engaging in. It's just so I'm like, Wow, I what am I doing here? Like, <laughs> I can write a, a research paper, but like she I can write before. <laughs> yeah, take that. You didn't go from not writing to writing. <laughs> yeah, or like immobile to mobile. Like that's impressive. What? There's nothing that I've done that has has 
come close to that. Humbling. Except for also you did do those things. I did before, but... But what have you done recently? Yeah, what have I done? Nothing. I st- We started a podcast. We, yeah, she hasn't done that. Yeah, that's kind of awesome. Also, like the fact that you, uh, you uh, your lab twin was telling me about how like what it was because she didn't know you yet um in your first semester it was like this guy just had a baby and he's like he's at a hospital right now and i don't know like take her story but she was saying like she goes i guess i should give him my class notes (laughs) (laughs) i'm like that would probably be helpful (laughs) that would be nice and it was very nice and they've continued to be very nice and (laughs) helpful to me the lab, the class notes or the lab name? No, the yeah, my lab twin. The class notes are garbage now. Your right. lab twin has also been personally helpful to me, so I appreciate them. Um, but yeah, that's like just very wild. So your child was born your first week of school? Two days before school started. And we already talked a little bit about like how you have no memory of your first semester, but uh, cut to your well, there most... Were, like other things that happened in the first semester too. Like? Learning that my advisor was no longer going to be at the university that I started at. Interesting. Say more. Oh, no, you also, sorry, just to, you became a homeowner, a father, and a PhD student all in the same year. Is this correct? Within, I'd say, three or four months. Yes. <sighs> Horrifying, but also wonderful. Yes. Yeah, I just, I I like to, to live life on hard mode. And so you just got to... Sicko mode. Yeah. You just got to keep leveling up until it, it's like, until you can't. Yeah, I, that's, uh, I just think about myself and like imagining balancing all those things. I'm just very impressed. Um, We all have like, that's, that's the other thing is like, we all have different things that we're dealing with and different things that are important and interfering with us. And I think going back to like that being, understanding of both yourself but then of your classmates too like that is one of the goals that i try to continue to have in just wanting to support everybody because you might know what they could be struggling with but you probably don't yeah i also think there's this um bias sometimes we have with like positive news equals not stressful um I mean, I think in general, people are pretty good at like recognizing that having a baby is like a stressful event. But I mean, like buying a house, um, the other kind of like major life things that happen to you, like Mm -hmm. getting married, like those are like objectively like things that people tend to be happy about or like markers of things are going well. But then you also think about the fact that like homeownership comes with new responsibilities um, for a lot of people tend to report that the first year of marriage is a more stressful year um, because it comes up with new challenges and new opportunities. Did you have an easy first year of marriage? Yeah. I, yeah. yeah. You guys are a great couple, so you have no <laughs> I'm sure I'm correct in saying you've had no problems or arguments ever. Moving yep. on. 
but yeah, being a dad has been been different in just a, a balance that I have to make. And I think in at the beginning, it was as grad school is, is just like establishing yourself as a student again. And even if you just came straight from undergrad, like there is a huge transition to being this, being a graduate student. Uh, and those first like couple of years, we're just trying to figure that out and figure out what worked for me, like what you're saying with restructuring your week and trying to reorganize like where you're going to dedicate time and where you can dedicate time. That that was one of the main focuses. And um, I'm so grateful for my wife and how she supported me through that process. And then there's been like a more recent shift, I'd say, in being able to I think working from home has been really wonderful for me because I can go right from meetings or doing things to playing Candyland or Lego Star Wars with my daughter. And it is it is awesome. Um, and then there are these things that like, yeah, thinking from a, a research pr perspective on things of knowing how important sleep is and yet uh, she does not care. <laughs> that like there but uh, again it, it highlights like these individual differences that are so important and i think as researchers we often overlook that and try to look at like how is this going to affect the average person um and like what is that going to be like 10 people who it's actually going to apply for and then like it'll kind of impact some other people but coming from like a clinician perspective like that is super important and trying to understand how it fits for this individual and how they view things. And I think it's just been really nice to all of it has been wonderful. And I really enjoyed it. At first, it was so stressful and so overwhelming, but got it under control, I think. Yeah, I mean, I mean, two things I kind of want to take about take from that. I think one is like, you know, I think I, everyone has their own like path that's really helpful to them. For me, having a few years out of between undergrad and graduate school gave me a sense of like, your life isn't just what you study. And before I was like yeah. fully committed to that. Um, and now I have a more healthy internal mental balance, even on the weeks where I'm not as balanced as I'd hope to be. Yeah. And then um, I would imagine that being a parent kind of adds an extra layer to that, that you have a whole being who you're, primary job is to make sure they grow up to be a successful adult and that's rewarding and challenging in its own way ho, ho, ho. now we'll take a quick break we'll be right back the you can grad school is on a vacation <laughs> ho, ho, ho. yeah so the second point i was going to make is that also i like um one of the things i think with research is a lot of times we're looking for generalization and then to the point where we're I sometimes think inflexibly about other things so the example being when I was um one of the families I babysat for had a has babysitting for them for one night and it was a I want to say like six month old so it's like basically new to the world and yeah. for my training don't know anything. Um, yeah. Couldn't tell if I was doing a bad job. Uh, but I was mostly just kind of keeping an eye on the baby. So uh, putting it to bed and like that was kind of the main responsibility. Um, 
And first of all, as the like youngest child at that point that I'd ever been in charge of for a period of time. So it was terrifying. Um, but I was also a sophomore, junior in college. And one of the things I had learned is like, it's incredibly important to put infants on their backs to fall asleep. And uh, that's like important for the prevention of SIDS and like all, you know, it's just what you do. But this baby couldn't fall asleep on its back. And so it was either no sleep or uh, you would have to flip it over after it fell asleep very carefully. And so it's just one of those things where like, you have what you're supposed to do and you know you really are supposed to you know, put infants to sleep on their back. So public service announcement um, and not so many things in the crib, like none of that. Um, yeah, get it out of there. None of those terrifies like, me. The like people put decorative things like in between around. the, yeah, around yeah, the crib. Yeah, get that out of there. Them. Yeah, it's bad. Yeah. Um, Babies are dumb. Years uh, too, like, or like all the stuffed animals you want to give them. Uh-uh. Um, but yeah, uh, but like sometimes the thing that you're supposed to do or the thing that's like optimal, whatever that like, isn't the thing that you can do, um, or similar with the conversation of like the gross breast is best thing where it's fed is best. And like people experience a lot of shame and guilt for not being able to. And so part of the individual differences is like, you want to do, you want to follow guidelines. Like we want to do research that can be applied for the most part to like groups of people who need help or like preventative work or whatever it is. But sometimes, you know, when you're faced in your own parenting decisions, it gives you kind of empathy for people who aren't able to. Uh, there are obviously complicating factors, but also just, you know, shout out to individual difference research, which I hope to be a part of. I thought you were just going to say shout out to, to people. Shout, shout out, out to people. <laughs> what? Listen to our Shout out only to the people who listen to our podcast. Yeah, take that. So if you are hearing this, Kate is shouting out to you. Hope you and feel if you're it. Max, then another week has passed without you realizing that I'm trolling you on Twitter. If anyone is just tuning in, um, I made an account to troll my friend at Max Holly. Uh, and the account is we rate Max one. Um so feel free to follow. Max still has no idea that I'm behind it. Uh, I talked to him about it this week. Uh, let me just pull up my most recent message with him about this. I think it was Twitter where I messaged. So I was like, oh, have you thought about like reaching out to the student? He's like, no. Um, I, I think that would play into his plans or something like that. Like they'd be thrilled I asked. I was like, yeah, no, they're probably right. Yeah, yeah. I think maybe over time we can start, we can use R to download, to look at the, the ratings over time and seeing if, see if his rating improves or how his Twitter goes. I think that's a great idea. Um, maybe an upcoming Zoom we could do, or not Zoom, uh, Discord tutorial, what is it called? Dis- yeah. Uh, just- yeah, Discord and, and Twitch maybe because we're gamers now i'm gonna get a special gaming uh handset whatever it is um anyway controller and just have it it doesn't do anything it'll code for me um okay we could do our own uh you can grad school version of uh tidy tuesday yeah you can do some some tweet scraping too and we can look at 
like maybe times that that he tweets and how much time difference there is between these ratings that come out. I don't know. Yes, I think that's a great idea. We could also do uh, tweet scraping and do data scraping for Twitter and look at the correlation between when I'm on Twitter and when um, we rate max one tweets. <laughs> so moving on to our final topic, uh, let's talk about non-academic jobs. I'm eating Reese's peanut butter cup. It's really good. Happy Halloween. Um, so, uh, Dustin, I want to hear a little bit, because you had talked about this on Twitter, and uh, we talked about it between the two of us, about um, your money-making sk schemes, your pyramid scheme for uh, R and data collection. It's not working. Nobody's <laughs> Nobody's buying in, and then... Nobody has friends that want to learn about R and then it, it, the pyramid just falls apart. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so this kind of gets at the, the skills that you develop in graduate school. And often at times when you're in class or you're doing things and you're looking to, you're comparing yourself to the peers around you who are doing very similar things. And when you talk or you discuss or you digest articles, how you talk about them, it it becomes like a second nature kind of thing. And you don't ever see it as a special skill. Uh, but then when you sometimes maybe if you try to talk to your parents or other friends and you realize that maybe there might be like a there's like a jargon barrier or there's something different. And really, that's you developing skills in how you digest scientific literature, how you can write about it, how you talk about it, that these are all things that we're learning how to do in school. Sometimes it's just like, we just do it. It's part of the program. But it's never told, like, we're never told that these are useful skills beyond just like, eventually, you'll get a tenure track position. Oh, totally. I something I've been thinking about lately is like even coming into graduate school. Like I think sometimes we think about you know, as I mentioned before, all or none of PhDs, but also like yep. all or none of postback work. Um, and when I think about it, like I learned a lot of very useful, um, marketable skills that yeah. don't that set me up well for like other kinds of things. Um, and if I wanted to do those things, I'd be set. But unfortunately, uh, no, um, like there are little things, too. And, you know, sometimes they relate to academia, like my sister asking me to help with a literature review for something. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there are a lot of different programs and like things, uh, public health work for one, when people are deciding what to fund or like what things to get grants in they need a solid literature search to base things off of, or even just like if you're trying to like have any public health messaging, uh, how do you distill things down into like a simple message and a summary of research? So that's like one thing that, you know, if you're a post or if you're an undergrad and like, you're like, I don't have a skill set. If you need to talk yourself up at interviews, you probably know how to do that to at least stay better than any Joe. Um, anyone named Joe, uh, anyone off of the street could. And so like, that's like number one. I think there's also just like the less exciting, but still important skills I came up against. Um, my dad's in his fifties and 
is a higher up in the hospital system but can't make a nice looking PowerPoint. <laughs> uh, and so like just like general like technology competence is like something how to make PowerPoints look nice, how to convey information. And I think, you know, I'm doing it right now where I'm like trying to downplay the importance of that. But like, if you're trying to communicate information to a large group of people, you need to know your audience, like calibrate that to your audience and like make a nice visual. So like the message is clear. And so they come away with something like that. That's important for your teaching kids. If you're teaching adults, trying to get funding for something, there's just like a lot of applications to it. It's not a skill I think of myself as having, um, but it's an important one. And there are other ways, other things along the way, like editing things you have to learn in academia. Um, but those are like sort of the, from my perspective, the, hey, you're not just a postback who, like, it's not all or nothing. There are things you learn along the way and they are valuable. And if you could find a way to get money for some something uh, or something along the way, like, you should do that. Um, but Dustin, you have accumulated an even greater number of skills through graduate school. Being realistic, there's a number of things you learn in graduate school. And as you become and are trained to become an independent researcher, you have to gain those skills along the way. So um, what are some things you are have learned, um, like doing and kind of plan on spreading to others in return for compensation? The if you have followed me on Twitter or have listened to maybe five minutes of this podcast, you know my enthusiasm for statistics and especially using R and R Studio to the fullest of its capabilities. Um, and just basically using technology and organization structures to help you be a, a more efficient researcher. I think a lot of the things in my time being like a lab manager and a grad student, an RA, a clinic assistant, that seeing all these different pieces uh, and recognizing that there are inefficiencies that lie in there. What? And I know. Surprising. I've never done inefficient research or data collection in my life. Except for every time I've ever been a part of a study or helped. Every single time. And it's it's one of those things that it's like we have done it for so long. And there are manuals that are it might be in your lab that are like, hey, follow these steps. And this is how you do it. And nobody ever questions that because that's just how it's done. And that's how you know it will be right. Um, but there are usually tend to be faster ways to do things. And I think that kind of resulted in a lot of what we talk about in in this podcast and just like what we talk about on Twitter. Um, just finding those tools and using them. I think one of the other things that can be really difficult is that that transition process that oftentimes the transition doesn't happen because you don't know what steps to take to make that transition. And I think that is that chasm is huge when it comes to learning R. And I want to I've been trying to situate myself to be able to promote that transition for one and just really think about what are ways to help you as a researcher be more efficient. 
intelligent in what you do, whether that be in data collection through Qualtrics and automating certain processes. So you can send tons of emails out to people with personalized pieces um, or on the back end that like analyzing your data, having scripts ready to go so that you're ready to analyze and then you have your results making tables in R. Um, there are just lots of different utilities and I would like to kind of situate myself in a way where I can be helpful in a number of different ways along that process. So what I would love to do is be included in like a university setting or something or just consulting in general, like a research, broad research consultant where you can come and say like, I have these ideas for this project. And then it would be my job to look at the specific details on how that could work. And like I've been helping some researchers and basically getting a like a three, four time point longitudinal study up and running where one person can basically run everything and it will track all the data. And so in data collection, like it doesn't you don't have to have a giant team doing all these things. Um, it could just be me making lots of money. Yeah, and, and, and you know, like I, first of all, yeah, pay pay Dustin yes. money, um, or just like say hi and be like, hey, can I get some help? And I'll be like, yes, you can. <laughs> Don't tell them that. Okay. Um, yeah, uh, if you have no money, then that's a different story. Yeah. Uh, and that's but, uh, and that yeah, do you say and that's okay? Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's okay. okay. Um, yeah, I think too, like we i the way the field developed i think the way people's individual lab labs have developed has not caught up with technology mm -hmm. and so there really is a um reticence i'd say i guess to like front load these data collection and you know like it's like preliminary data cleaning right to, like an organization kind of work that people don't know they can do or they overestimate um, how long it'll take or underestimate the utility and you know it's something I hope like future generation of researchers is like more in line on and I think you know every generation has things that they're inflexible about because they weren't exposed to it um, but yeah something like I hope that I'll do and I plan to do as a graduate student is to try to think about those things ahead of time even though there's not an incentive system and it's hard to think of your future self as an incentive enough um, you barely know them. Like, why are you going to help? Yeah, for you, they're not going to um, do much. Yeah, so I, you know, I think I really like. I'm impressed by the way, like you kind of put that together. And um, what I love about that is like it's a good encapsulation of like both your skill set as well as you know your creative thinking and you're like wanting to help people to do better research. So I think that's kind of great um thank you that's yeah. like the goal is i want you to do better research that's really what it is and it kind of follows uh her name's chelsea partlett pellariti and she is a great twitter follow yes definitely check her out we'll put her in the we'll put her in the show notes uh let me write that down so i don't forget um she has a, a great website 
where she is a, she has a, a strong stats background and is a statistician and she has offered herself as a, a casual she calls it a casual consultant and deems it the chatistician which i think <laughs> is great and like consulting can be you might think that that's for like large grants or big projects when in fact just like having somebody who knows a little bit more or has a different skill set having a conversation with them can be really valuable and i think that's how i want to try to situate myself i want it to be attainable to anybody and everybody and so like i'm still trying to set this up but feel free to reach out to me on twitter or something or check out my website um and just like if you're a grad student i'll probably have like a sliding fee scale uh, probably not costing much of anything if anything because i want to help you do better research um maybe it'll be like a, a pay what you want kind of thing like when you download an album from a, a band and it's like you have to pay at least a dollar and everybody's like yeah i'm paying a dollar dollar it is <laughs> but no. if you're faculty then you gotta pay me pay me more gonna pay one percent of your ro1 that'd be nice a lot <laughs> be sweet uh yeah i i think you know we can talk we'll talk in a feature um podcast about structural things and how it doesn't reward this kind of work but um i'm really excited for you and if you're listening to this like spread the word about dustin uh he's pretty cool easy to work with um he taught me how to be a lab manager i did a adequate job you did you crushed it you had so many skills coming in i just had to inform you about what where to direct them was (laughs) Yeah, I guess we both could do uh, ideal lab organization. So if you're also a PI just starting up a lab, yeah. um, actually something both of us kind of have a skill set in that I didn't think about is like, we've talked a lot about this, like just the two of us about yeah. how like, this is the best way to set up a new lab. Sometimes you get a, like you think like you'll put in an organizational system later. Um, no, uh, it's going to get too busy and too complicated. So the best thing you can do for yourself is to, you know, to get from two lab managers who like were working with the day to day environment of like data cleaning, analysis, people organization. Yep. Um, it can be really overwhelming to have to put these changes or like implement these changes. Um, I know the current lab manager of our or my former lab, your current lab, has um, been doing this and done a phenomenal job. But um, there are a lot of challenges that could be avoided if you start out doing things in a very um, thoughtful and intentional way, we'll say. Um, And I think that can be an awesome thing. Um, But also, like, I know there are a lot of challenges for starting up your own lab. So I don't mean to suggest that it's an easy thing, but it can be a helpful thing. And even if like if you're a PI starting a lab or just a grad student starting a new project and you're like, how can I organize this? I have like three RAs that I'm trying to manage and they all have different schedules and I want to make sure that they can do all this. And like people have done this before. And Kate and I are very open and willing to share these things that we've done and we found helpful. Or what didn't work. (laughs) Exactly. Yes. And 
like just reach out to us. We want to help you again do the best research that you can. Yeah, and if you're a grad student, this is like something we would love to talk to you about for uh, for free because we know it's like something that uh, can be incredible. At least I would love to. I don't want to talk to you. If talk for yeah. you, then Dustin's like hundred dollars a pop. <laughs> I don't feel like I can ever charge that much. I'm like, uh, maybe like just like buy me some coffee here or something. I don't know. I think yeah. for particular front loading of data organization if i were a pi i'm not just like blowing smoke but like i honestly like it's so worth and also like it's just you're saving yourself so many hours so like hundred dollars yeah. feels like pretty minimum for like oh, an, yeah. i don't know two hours worth of work what do you think but from a grad work? student grad student oh, oh. it would be like yeah, no. yeah. <laughs> but yeah no i think a big thing we've learned is like trying things and failing so like don't don't go down our roads. Our roads less traveled because they're shitty roads. Um, <laughs> that was the like first draft of the poem. Anyway, um, all right. So, Justin, what's your? Uh, do you want to go first, or do you want me to go first for uh, future directions? You should probably go first. Okay, cool. I didn't, I didn't think about it until right now. So the first thing. Um, I'd say is like, I've had a very reflective week. Um, and the first one is like, I read this follow-up to the Emily Radajowski or whatever it is, uh, piece that I had recommended last week. And it's very good. Um, it's incredibly, I think very well written, um, centers things around a lot of like feminist theories and um, ideas uh, in around feminisms, plural. Um, so it was really interesting and I, think it made me reflect a lot about what I the kind of media I read and how that shapes my like my own feminism and then uh second of all is just like talking to your friends and like using them as resources um I had this very funny experience with my best friend where I was telling her about how I was um I made the decision I mentioned this in previous podcasts around every day of September talking to my friend she goes like why are you doing that and I said well you know I just kind of want to prove to myself that I can like see something through and like that I can really commit to something and complete it she was like is that not something you already like you don't already know about yourself and I was like I don't know I don't know and then she like pointed out all of these things like just pointing out how like my impression or like how I think of myself is not reflective of like my impression that, or the impression that others have or like reflective of reality. <laughs> and so I'm still running every day for September, but it was just this like really nice moment where someone told you something nice about yourself that you don't necessarily believe, but then backs it up with like real life examples. So you can't help but kind of believe what they tell you. So that was just a nice moment and also semi-comical. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why I'm running for all September now. Yeah, now it's, well, you're like already towards the end. So why yeah. not? You got to finish it up. Uh, so what's your future direction this week? I would like to recommend, this was something that I recommended on some of our previous Zoom calls, but uh, the Emmys just happened and Watchmen on HBO did a really great job cleaning up. Um <sighs> It is, it is such a good series and has brings light a lot of things and highlights 
a lot that we're dealing with today in terms of racial injustice and inequality. I just think it, it it's really great. And all of the, the writing is wonderful. Um, so I would like to try to go back and, and rewatch that. And then also, I think reread Watchmen, the like the original comic series. And because it, it's been a while since I've reread that, um, among other comics that I'm reading as well. I just started reading The Boys. Have you seen that? No, but I've seen the Amazon Prime uh, adverts for it. And so I think that'll be something really cool that I will probably want to watch eventually and read. And I've actually, I've been really wanting to read Watchmen. And so that's kind of on my my long-term list. I have a really large stack of books that I feel guilty that I haven't read yet. But what yeah. a good problem to have. <laughs> um, I know. Yeah. That'll so, be another future direction. Is I'll I'll bring in some other comic books. Oh uh, no, I'm I'm really excited for that. Too. I hope you do. Yeah, um, yeah man eaters. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, so to close out, we got a suggestion. I'll let Dustin close it out. But um, we got a suggestion for how to end our future podcasts in this podcast. So uh, hit it, Dustin. So because we are still struggling with how to, as you can tell, with us just trying to transition into closing out the, the show. Uh, we're, we're awkward about this. Yeah, it's basically just us like, okay, we're going to wave to each other and say thanks for listening, and then uh, it's done. So please, we have a on our Twitter, um, we'll probably put it in the show notes too, submit some catchphrases for us to close out the show. We'll then, use them. We will use them because we don't like whatever we're doing right now in trying it's to awkward. yeah it's very awkward so please help us we need your help um, yeah you can capitalize on the awkwardness well so you know barring anything inappropriate or completely yeah. embarrassing if you put something up as a suggestion we'll say it um and then from there we could do some sort of voting process so and you Our can person- if you want to be credited see we can't even close it out if you want to be oh. credited you can uh but if not, it'll remain anonymous. So this this includes both of us. So you got to say, "Oh, your, I'm Kate." Your there you go. Yeah, I'm Kate. That's, That's all. And Thank- action. <laughs> Thanks I'm for joining Kate. us. Oh. oh. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. I'm Kate, and I'm Dustin. And we don't just think you can grad school. We know you we can. We know you can. Oh.